This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to The Late Show with me, your host, James Rutherford. And this evening, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence or AI in education. I've got my guest, John Jones and Faye Ellis, and we're going to explore what that looks like, its benefits, its strategies, template, and those ethical considerations. Wonder what the future holds. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to The Late Show with me, your host, James Rabham. And this evening, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence or AI in education. AI is a term that often refers to technology that we can form tasks that normally require human intelligence, such as understanding language, recognizing images, solving problems, and learning from data. AI has been making waves in fields and industries. But what about education? We've opened Pandora's box. We cannot now close it. So how can AI help teachers and students in the classroom and beyond? And what can some of the best practices and examples of AI in education be around the world? What are there some of the limitations, challenges that we need to be aware of? Stay tuned as we start to explore these in the next segments of the show. Now, with me tonight are two educators who started to integrate AI into their classroom and in their daily practice. John Jones, Director of Innovation at the 4RGS Worcester Schools, and Faye Ellis, who has worked in education for 15 years leading digital education programmes and STEAM strategy at the British Museum and in London schools. Welcome both, and uh, thank you for giving up your time on the Friday night. Hi, thank you for having us. Good evening, James. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Nice to have the sun out and the picnics out today, especially <laughs> for the coronation, hasn't it? My son came back saying that he uh, planted a tree today, which was, uh, he was the honoured one to do that, so I was quite <laughs> excited. Lovely. Oh, very nice. Yeah, my daughter came home from nursery wearing a crown, which was uh, <laughs> very sweet. So, um, Faye, then, can you uh, introduce yourself and tell me about your journey through education to your current role? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as you mentioned, I've worked in education for 15 years, uh, mostly in the independent school sector. So um, I've led digital learning programmes and supported teachers and students in using technology. I also spent a few years working in the museum education space, so uh, running workshops for schools and families, and a couple of years living in New York where I ran makerspace workshops for kids. Uh, and now I'm a digital coach at Halcyon London International School, which is a small IB school, uh, London's only not-for-profit IB school in central London. So, yep. And also doing an MBA at the moment at UCL in educational leadership and focusing on tech and AI. Well, thank you. Well, that sounds really exciting, MBA <laughs> and uh, yeah. leadership and AI. Probably some late night studying there, I bet. Yes, it's uh, it's I'm struggling with the uh, work life balance, definitely, but it's it's fascinating and um, yeah, it's a really good course and fantastic meeting fantastic people through it as well. So, excellent. And uh, John, same question to you. Can you just tell me about your journey? Because I know yours is quite an interesting one, um, in, going international as well, I believe. 
I did go international. It seems like a very long time ago now. Um, I got into teaching when I was about 25, 26, um, after working in in um, sports management in London and became a primary school teacher and then went to the international sector at the International School of Monaco, which is a very interesting five years, and then uh, moved back to a, a school in Kent called King's, King's Rochester, and uh, about four years ago, I moved to Worcester, um, as you said, as the Director of Innovation at the four RGS Worcester schools. And um, I think the the biggest change I've seen over the, the course of my time as a teacher is the, the digital world. And um, if you ask my friends, um, what was I like as a kid with, with technology? Pretty useless, if I'm being honest. Uh, but when the uh, the school I worked at initially got some iPads, um, sorry, got some some laptops, I saw a potential, and then the iPad came along. Whilst I was in Monaco, we got some of them, and then, uh, as we know now, it's it's a, it's a valuable tool for everybody. And I think education is 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 a sector that uh, has really got to embrace the wonderful world of of technology. And I think that's something that connects all three of us, isn't it? That idea of how technology can really transform um, education and what it can do as well. And hopefully we can explore that as we go through um, this evening. But one of the questions I kind of want to ask um, guests that I come on, everyone's got a purpose. Everyone's got like, what was their one thing that sparked them to work in education? So I'll ask that for you, John, first. What's what's that one thing or what's your purpose and what inspired you to really work in education? Um, I think going to school, uh, I, I had like a, a mixed sort of experience really of education. I had some really good teachers uh, and some not so good teachers. And it got me thinking from an early age really about the difference uh, you know, a, a good education and a good teacher and a, a, a good curriculum can have. Um, I ended up doing some work experience in a local primary school when I was at sixth form. Um, I just loved it. And I thought that is something I'd like to do one day. As I said before, though, I didn't get into teaching until I was about 25. So I basically didn't think I was probably responsible enough to be a teacher until that point. Um, and uh, uh, I haven't regretted it ever since. It's been a, an amazing journey. And same to you, Faye, then. What, what's inspired you to be in education? Yeah, a kind of similar story, actually. So, um, yeah, I had a pretty uninspiring education, especially secondary stage. Um, I didn't even consider teaching as a career, but then when I was doing my BA, which was in digital media, I was designing products for children and got to spend quite a lot of time with kids um, and realised just how great they are to spend time with and how creative they can be and how creative they are with technology as well. So I decided that I was going to find a job that let me do that. And yeah, I've never really had a sort of a set career path or plan, but, you know, I've been lucky to be able to explore different roles in different sectors and and spend lots of time with lots of amazing kids. I think that's one thing I've been really reflecting on um, recently is there's not a single career path when it comes to education now. And I think there's a mm -hmm. whole variety um, and how many lives it touches in different sectors and different areas as well. And I think that's a really interesting topic, especially with this world of technology and AI and what jobs for the future and what that looks like as well. It's, mm -hmm. it's an interesting time to be in, actually. And that kind of leads us nicely on to um, the first theme that I really want to explore tonight, which is um, quite simply, what is AI? I know everyone has like a preconceived idea what AI is. And if you even look at Hollywood, they made films from it. They've made millions of pounds from it, from, from HAL 9000 Space Odyssey to The Terminator. 
to even to a concept of like how Neo in the Matrix can plug himself into a computer program and learn Kung Fu almost instantly. And AI is transforming the industry. It was only in the early 2000s, Amazon, Google used it to improve their search algorithms and e-commerce systems. And now industries using it in manufacturing and there'd be massive breakthroughs in image and speech recognition and even self-driving cars. But over the last year, even less than a year, it's really blown up and really transformed. But considering actually there are some of those uses of AI we use on a daily basis from Siri, Google, and um, Amazon, I'm not going to say the name because you know what happens when anyone says that on the radio or <laughs> podcast goes off. So what are there some of the incidental uses of AI that um, you use in your everyday life then, Faye? Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's um, I think we're starting to see AI popping up in lots of different tools that we've been using for a long time. Um, one of the ones that in general I find really useful is that we use Google Apps at work um, and it's Google Spaces does these AI generated chat summaries now. So, you know, if, if you've missed a lot of conversation, it will give you a short summary of what's been happening. Uh, but we had quite a funny incident recently when um, a colleague sent an urgent message to all staff saying that somebody had left this very dangerous hot light on the drama studio floor and you know it's a massive fire hazard and google's summary was um this person tells staff to make sure that they definitely leave the light on the floor at all times so it's just it's really interesting how a lot of these tools have been put out there but they're still not perfect um and i'm seeing loads of really interesting examples of how they're being used in ways that perhaps the you know, the tech companies didn't predict yeah, and John, what are your, what's your take on it at the moment with how you use Incidental and what are some of the things that may have surprised you about AI so far? Um, interesting question. I think the what surprised me is the amount of things that I use that have AI in them that I didn't realise had AI in them. Um, so, you know, you use your phone, you use your you know, your smart speakers, etc. Uh, and a lot of these things have elements of artificial intelligence in them. And it's only when you, you know start researching um, books, etc., uh, and you realise it's 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 already everywhere. It's it's, it's in your you know, your your bank account. It's in social media. Uh, it's in cars. It's in trains. Um, and therefore, that that gap in education is an obvious one that 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 needs to be sort of utilised. Um, I think we'll discuss more about that later on. But the 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 amount of people that sort of were saying about AI years ago. I, mean, I read a book by Anthony Selden um, that sort of predicted this exact scenario but what surprised is probably surprised Anthony as much as it surprised me is the fact that it happened so quickly uh, and the speed of which it's suddenly become um, used and the speed of which people think it's going to become uh, it's going to get to that point where actually it is more intelligent in certain aspects than us and that point I think was predicted to be in about 2050 but all of a sudden people are saying it's in the next two or three years which it's 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 something to think about isn't it um it's something that we we all need to get our heads around but i'm just amazed that it's it's all of a sudden you know those films you spoke about are kind of happening (laughs) yeah it's really interesting because when i started my mba about a year and a half ago i wasn't that interested in AI. a lot of the products that were out there were these yeah sort of adaptive learning products um and the amount of change that's happened in just a year and a half yeah as complete I've, I've become you know obsessed with it it's something <laughs> yeah. i read about all the time i get so excited when a new tool comes out so it's just incredible the the rate that this is changing and 
Agree. Totally. And I think I think that's an interesting point in itself. The it's it's almost impossible to keep up with it all. Every time you think you've mastered something, there's an, someone else pops up <laughs> on social media. Some some you know, some expert comes along with some new thing, and uh, and that's people who you know, like us who probably consider themselves rel- relatively adept at it are already struggling to keep abreast of it all. So for the everyday user, or even just you know for people that don't use it at all, it's it's probably it's quite mind boggling. It's probably quite um mm-hmm. quite quite scary to think about and i think that's an important issue that we, we need to work out a way of making making it possible for everyone to utilize ai uh, otherwise it it could cause a, a bit of a division um uh, but I, I guess we'll talk about that in a bit james we've already got off tangent <laughs> no that's 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 what happens when we actually start talking john you know you know this was always going to be the case and i think i was starting last night i put in um just some news articles like what what's happened in ai over the last week and it, it was absolutely phenomenal and it's it is almost impossible to keep on top of yeah um with what is happening and for those who are listening who haven't who've heard of ai haven't really seen what's happened but over the last year um we call it's really called generative ai at the moment where it generates an output and last summer um open ai company kind of came up with like a chatbot style way of talking to a computer system um, and you may have seen these chatbots on facebook messenger or when you go online um, i was trying to use one with a company today trying to talk to them um, it was awful and hopefully actually ai can help it in the future slightly better than it is at the moment um, but it's that idea that is using that natural processing language it's trying to communicate like a human and so open ai um, put 300 billion words of information into what is chat 3.5 and they plugged it into websites um, even into twitter and until elon pulled the plug of that and books and what it did was learn how your humans communicated and interacted now with that massive knowledge base it can use it it can speed up a lot of things and you're talking about that exponential growth it took one day to get to a million users and under two months to get to a hundred million users. Now, if you think the internet, that took about 30 years to get to a hundred million users. TikTok, it took seven months. Whereas you're looking at less than two months for this chat GPT system to really go into that level of use. And I've, I've seen some fascinating but scary things. I don't know if you've seen seen the image of the Pope um, in his bomber jacket or the fake mm. Trump being tackled by the NYPD as well. And it's really, really exciting, but really scary at the same time. Is there anything else you two have seen that have like shocked you with its ability? I think one of the things that we've been trying uh, in school this week is uh, Wonder Studio, which is um, for creating 3D animations. And so you, you record a video of yourself or of a person moving around and then uh, you can then turn yourself into a 3D character. So it's it's making the process of creating a 3D animation almost instant, which is incredible. The, so the quality of the output is so good. Um, and that's, that's something that's got me really excited about the potential in education, actually, if students are able to create things that are you know, professional standard in one lesson. That's really exciting to me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think there's those those barriers. You know, you, at the moment, um, you need a sort of certain te- technical level to be able to do that sort of thing. I think AI might might better sort of break down those barriers a little bit. The only thing I've noticed in that sense is is already 
you, you have to pay for certain things. Um, and mm-hmm. that, again, causes a little bit of division, um, even with things like Mid Journey, which I got vaguely obsessed with for a little bit because I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe you could kind of like make your, like your, your things in your head just, just appear on a screen um, instantly. And, and then, then I noticed how people were using different like cameras and putting in like different filters of cameras and getting to generate those sort of photorealistic images that you spoke about. Um, but you can't get on it now. I tried to demonstrate it to my digital geniuses today um, and already because it's obviously there's a free version and a paid version and with the free version, there's too many people using it. Um, so yeah. I guess, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 you know, there's no limit to what you can do with these things. I mean, Faye, I saw something you did online, which was a few weeks back now. You sort of, um, multitask on various different AI, AI applications to put together a music video and everything in it was mm-hmm. generated by AI from the music to the, the video to the you know, the script and that's just <laughs> yeah. astonishing isn't it and that's, this is this is we're in the infancy at the moment and no, no disrespect but we're probably relative novices as well compared to some of these mm-hmm. people out there that are doing this but it shows you what you can do and what's what's around the corner um, and it's it's exciting yeah yeah, yeah tell me more about that video is amazing yeah. yeah, I was going to say, tell Sorry, me about Dave. that music video. Yeah, tell me about that music video um, and how you used it in class. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was great fun. So um, one of the, the lessons that I do in my school is it's called Exploration. So it's a sort of extracurricular lesson that happens during the day. And this one, um, we were exploring different AI tools. So students created a piece of music using AI. They made a character. They brought that character to life. Um, they wrote the lyrics to the song and then they put it together to make a video and it was all done using AI. And it was, I mean, the, the sort of the final output is quite surreal. It's, it is slightly <laughs> unnerving, you know, it, um, but uh, like John said, it just, it just makes you think, you know, if, if you look at where things like Midjourney were a year ago, what are these video tools going to look like in a year's time? Yeah, and even with you talk about Midjourney and even ChatGPT four that's coming out now at the moment, um, some of those art images have actually won awards already, yeah. and they've put it with human versions of it, and they've won awards. And it's what okay, where does the line of creativity go? Where does that work? And where is that human element? I know we we'll explore that bit later, but let's bring it back really into the classroom. So, Faye, you've said about music videos and how you've done that. John, what have you done so far about um, AI in the classroom and whether it's with students or even for yourself in lesson planning or personalised that learning? Um, what have you done so far? Well, far less exciting than Faye, I'm afraid to say, but we, we, we've we managed to get pupils to do um, things like revision plans uh, into tables. They've got their exams around the corner, GCSEs, A-levels, uh, internal examinations, etc. Uh, and what what we you know, we had a conversation with some pupils and it turned out they were making revision plans but they, it was quite time consuming uh, useful but you know you really want to be spending your time revising not making up revision plans so we we, we developed some prompts and shared them with, with sixth form and they were able to come up with these amazing revision plans that focused on areas of weakness etc um we we're doing weekly sessions with staff at the moment and looking at how it can help with uh, anything from from assemblies to um uh, making substantive quizzes the questions for sort of quizzes that you can then pop in and teachers who are not, not I wouldn't say that they're not tech savvy but they're not you know they they, they use technology to, to to a reasonable extent all of a sudden they're realizing that when utilized possibly it can save them hours and we're even looking at tools like the you know, the real fast reports 
uh, which which don't write your reports for you, which is you know is is really important to get across, especially with perception of what teachers do. But they help make the reports better. They uh, help to with with things like getting abbreviations correct and making sure that you know, we, we use examinations as opposed to using the word exams. Um, Anthony doesn't become Tony. Use the same thing throughout. And it just it just means that those sort of what are, if we're being honest, quite laborious tasks just become easier uh, and become better and free up sort of time for teachers to, to actually be more creative, which is ultimately what they get squeezed on when these you know, machine like tasks, those robotic tasks that we have to do um, are in front of us. And therefore, I think that's that's the way we, we've got to look at AI. Um, from a teaching perspective and from a sort of people perspective, it's brilliant for creativity, but it's also brilliant for productivity as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen um, so many benefits for our sort of neurodivergent students as well. So um, things like chat PDF, which uses uh, mm. you know, open AI um, to summarize and interact with academic papers, which, you know, a lot of people, I mean, it can be really challenging to read a long academic paper and and pull out the key points from it but those tools allow students to do that really quickly um and they're yeah they're, they're seeing huge benefits from those tools so i think that's the, the chat pdf has been really revolutionary for our, for our admin team as well uh, for looking at things mm. like policies and putting out data from um even like jcq about how to you know use ai and within assessment you can just get it to summarize documents in seconds again so you, it's not just the, the teachers and the pupils it's actually the the you know, support staff would benefit from it as as well. Uh, it's you know it's 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 a, it's a real and I hate the word, but it's a real game changer. But in so many different ways, um, and it's something that um, you know the problem is that one of the big issues we've discussed already is that as soon as you you come up with a, a new um, idea, like for example the Socrative quizzes. It won't be long before Socrative probably have a button in it that you just press a button and it does it. It uses ChatGPT itself to generate those questions. So part of me is thinking, actually, are we kind of kind of wasting our time a little bit um, trying to harness these things together? And actually, the, the, you know, things like ISAMs, well, that will probably have a, like a button, like a module you can you can just press a button on in about three years' time, which will basically generate the report yourself. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's still good to make sure that we get our heads around these things as they develop, because then we can we can help to to, to you know train and teach pupils and teachers about what we've learned, uh, and on, on our sort of respective AI journeys. I think that productivity is a really core cool element. The amount of time we say about workload of teachers and spending time on. Uh, tasks that are really not making an impact on the children and I know with Microsoft they're putting in bits and pieces in Excel and other platforms where they actually analyze that data for you so you can do the action behind it but I want to go back to a phrase you said earlier about making these quizzes and lesson planning and bits like this often with the uh, especially mastery maths and we're looking at um, curriculum we talk about depth not breadth we're often guilty of looking at lots of different things in education or very much surface level and not actually going into that progression that we've really carefully planned in our curriculum and do you think in some ways that with the um summarization or with the quizzes that there is a danger of not focusing on what almost the teacher has conducted and gone through that and if there is, what other ways we can actually protect against that? What are your thoughts, John? I think what's what we notice. What, what, I think one thing we need to sort of establish, I suppose, is is that 
it's the way it works, the way ChatGPT actually works, which will help to answer that question. It doesn't, from, again, oh, this is from you know, reading and, and listening to other people. In a nutshell, it, it, it's, it's basically a prediction tool. It predicts stuff and it predicts it well enough for it to be useful. Um, it's not it's not drawing information from a database as such. It's it's predicting every single letter based on its vast the vast amount of information that's been fed into it. So when you explain that to teachers and when you explain that to pupils, it makes them realise that you can't trust it. And when you realise you can't trust it, it means that you you can use it as a tool, but you've got to cross reference. And when you're doing that cross referencing, it automatically means you're it's helping you with your learning. Because you're you're doing those things at, at quite a high level. You know, looking at let's let's talk about the quizzes. If you've generated some questions on the Weimar Republic, uh, you you need to make sure that teachers check those against the, the facts. And you know, nine times out of ten, they'll be right. But it does make mistakes, and therefore the same thing applies to pupils helping with essays or or, or any sort of research that they're doing. You can't rely on it, much like you can't rely on everything you find on the internet. So these are the these are the things we need to be teaching children. Um, if they're going to use it, they've got to use it well. They've got to use it um, effectively. And they've got to be able to to, to judge um, its responses and compare and contrast them. And these skills are vital because this is what you teach children anyway with you know, the, the, the vast amount of information they can look on and find on the internet as it stands. Um, so I think if you approach it from that perspective, that it's actually just another tool to help um, with the acquisition of knowledge, then you're... It's a win-win situation. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of press about ChatGPT and um, focusing on its ability to write things and, and all this focus on plagiarism. But actually, that's, it's, that's not even a good use of it. And I think students very quickly realise that, you know, that first of all, that, you know, we'll be able to tell a lot of the time that it's been written by ChatGPT, that it's not always correct, as you say, John, and that there are actually far more useful ways of, of using it. So... Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's almost what, almost the crux of what I wanted to get out of this show tonight. And it's, you kind of went back and perfectly explained it is we need to look at its depth as teachers, actually, what is its role? What is the role of technology? What is, what can it do to transform? And I know, um, was it Italy originally banned it, yep. um, in their mm -hmm. country, I know the universities that were but banning it, but also then there were universities embracing it um, within terms of the exams and all of that. What are your thoughts with how almost the exam system may have to evolve and adapt and develop with this um, new use of technology, Bay? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I mean, my university is one that does allow use of it, and but um, on the understanding that students are meant to reference the fact that they've used it so and I, I think that's key it's it's making students um so be open about the and transparent about how they've used it and what they've used it for um but i think i think this sort of over focus on on knowledge and, and on exams makes it perhaps makes it much more appealing to students to use because it, you know if they are being judged on on you know how, how much knowledge they can retain and you know how if they can regurgitate it in a you know fairly generic way then those tools are going to be perhaps misused for those for those purposes um i mean i would love to see you know assessments that bring in other skills that bring in oracy that bring in uh, collaboration um i think we're probably quite 
far away from that at the moment. But um, I mean, a lot of that happens within the IB curriculum. I think students are graded um, on the sort of a, a lot wider criteria, I think, than than in the national curriculum. John, like I, I know actually Faye with that, I, I kind of completely agree. And I often use the term technology can make that learning visible and it mm -hmm. raises the question, are exams the best way to test what someone's ability is or knowledge is about something? And I think that's a real danger. We need to look at what does learning look like mm. and how can we see that? And I think with analysing that data and how we can use AI to do that, it opens up new opportunities to personalise that learning and almost personalise what those assessments are so we can act on those assessments in some ways. I think that'd be a really interesting, um, almost another topic to look at, another point, doesn't it, I think? Absolutely. It's an age-old question about exams, and, and I think no one really thinks that exams are perfect in any way, shape or form, but no one's come up with a, 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 you know, an obvious better way of doing things yet. But AI opens up a whole new world i think and you know you look at the software like century tech um, which isn't perfect but it's pretty good and if you think about if you could somehow use ai to 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 help monitor children's learning from an early age and uh, pick up what they're really good at pick what they're proficient at and when i say learning i don't just mean knowledge i mean as face as face said with you know, things like um, the ability to collaborate and, and present and speak and empathize uh, and if AI could pick up that without any bias, I mean, exams are biased to an extent to, you know, to children that are good at exams. So AI could, could let it, you know, get rid of that and, um, and you'd end up almost, when, when children finish their, their, their educational journey, with a, with a, a complete fact file about, about development and, um, and proficiency and um, um, what, what children have, have worked hard at to get better at. And you know, alleviate those this this time of year. And as I said earlier, it's this that it's that time of year today. And we you know we've we've seen children that are upset today. We've um, had you know um, every, every school has the same thing with exams. And is there is there a better system out there? And perhaps AI can help develop that. But at the same time, um, we have to be careful. I think with ethics and with data uh, and with um, all sorts of other things that we probably don't really know yet because we don't really know what's coming next so it's it's exciting but also at the same time we, we have to be measured in our in our sort of response and development to ai and uh, particularly with things like assessment yeah there's a quote that i wrote down from an article this week from dr hinton he said in the shorter term he thought that ai would deliver many more benefits than risks so i don't think we should stop developing this stuff um but there is going to come a point where we've really got to have a, we've got to have those conversations now mm. um, about how we can implement this and what conversation we need to do. So before I play the news and have a look at this, I want, let's, let's go around this topic. What's the potential challenges that educators might face when implementing AI in the classroom? Um, and how can some of those be overcome? Uh, John first. Um, I suppose technical know-how, uh, even things like prompt engineering, um, if you can get your prompt right, your AI experience will be far better than if you can't. So much like with any CPD, it's important that if we want teachers to get the best out of the, the software, we, we need to make sure we teach teachers how to use it. Likewise for pupils, 
um, and making sure that what they're using it for does actually help them with learning. I think uh, another big challenge is the ethical challenge uh, that, again, we don't really fully appreciate yet. I mean, I, I'm not in, I, I'm, I'm, I'm respond, partly responsible for things like GDPR at school. And I don't really know whether uh, half of these tools out there are GDPR compliant or not. I, I know chat GPT is. So if you're going to be using it for things like report writing, or you're going to be, you're putting in personal information, you need to make sure that what you're doing is safe and doesn't get the school uh, into trouble. Uh, and certainly doesn't get pupils or, or staff into trouble as well. Uh, keeping up with things is a massive challenge, as we, we mentioned earlier. Investing loads of time into something like ChatGPT uh, is hopefully going to be beneficial, but we just don't know. It could be defunct in a year's time with something that's even better. I mean, we, we all know Apple. Apple have been very quiet. Have they got something up their sleeve that's going to make everything obsolete? We don't know. Is ISAM's going to introduce something into their, their package that means that the whole work on real fast reports is obsolete? So I think that's a massive challenge. And it's, it's you're asking people to predict the future, which they simply can't do. So making sure that um, you know, we stay on top of things is, is difficult. Yeah, I think absolutely all the sort of concerns around age restrictions and privacy are you know, yeah. really key. And that's why I'm pleased to see tools being built into things that we already use. So tools like Canva and yes. Adobe have brought out an image generator now as well. So hopefully that will happen more. And, you know, we, we, as educators, we can trust those tools and know that children are going to be safe when they're using them. Um, I think also, especially at secondary level, having a sort of consistent school-wide approach about how AI can be used. Um, and should be used. So, you know, there's, I think there's this huge scale from at one end, a piece of work that a student does that's 100% their own thoughts. They've done no, not, you know, they've not even Googled anything, you know, it's completely their thoughts all the way to the other end where something's 100% plagiarized in the middle. You know, there's, there are all kinds of levels of, of, dig, I guess, digital assistance. Um, you know, people use things like Grammarly, uh, they might use ChatGPT to assist them, but then write it themselves. And I think schools need to have a consistent approach. Uh, and that's, that can only really come with like really good staff training. And uh, access to technology as well is obviously key. A lot of schools you know, don't have access to devices all the time. Um, you know, a lot of schools will ban mobile phones as well, so that they're not an option for students. So um, I think access is a really key one. And you know, it, it does worsen that digital divide. So students and schools you know, who've got more money are going to have much better access to it and a much better understanding of it than, than others. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's, it, I'm a little bit worried really about, you know, we talk about supercharging and um, there's, you know, I think some, someone I heard on, on the radio the other day was talking about it's not going to eradicate lawyers it's not going to eradicate teachers it's going to eradicate lawyers and teachers that don't use the ai now if the, if that's down to the fact it's there's a, you know, the, a a monetary issue with accessing the technology or the software it's a, that's not fair is it we can't have a, a sort of a um an almost a, a class division between those who can afford the, the tech and the ai and those that can't because it will mean even bigger gaps in society and that's something i you know i'd like to have faith in that that government are addressing but i'm not going to go too much into the government for obvious reasons but i'm pretty sure they aren't putting that as a priority but i think even wider field imagine countries who don't have yep. internet access yep. 
there the gaps are always going to grow and even more so with that and there's a real concern about what do we do as a society not only in our country but across the world accessing tools like this are we giving there was an article today or something about um exploring whether it's given um, companies an unfair advantage because they're using this technology and if you look at companies like facebook and others they're actually getting rid of jobs because they're being more efficient with their time mm. now, i always go back to what the there's always this world economic form about what the jobs do in the future but it's not necessarily the jobs of laboring um or in manufacturing what those jobs turn into are those ideas of critical thinking what are those jobs to solve the problems that machines are doing for us in some ways and how do you solve those problems and how do you have that communication mm. and i know Faye earlier you said about Orsi, and i know within our trust we're really looking at Orsi 21 project that we have in Worcestershire, uh, mm-hmm. and those are core skills that we really need to incorporate now one word that has kept coming up a few times is this idea of training and Mm -hmm. um, telling staff what to do so what have you done so far in terms of training and also what are some of the things you want to do um training particularly with staff because i think at the moment especially i'm from a primary perspective so we're going to mainly be talking about this with staff i know both you work as secretary as well so um but what kind of things would you want to explore in terms of training for staff to make sure the implementation of this um, is as effective as possible? I'll start with you, Faye. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, one of the sort of projects I'm hoping to work on next year is developing uh, sort of AI literacy throughout the school. And um, there have been some resources released this week by the Raspberry Pi Foundation and DeepMind. Um, which uh, the idea is that they don't just teach students to use the AI tools, they also teach them about how they work. And I think this is something that, you know, even schools who don't have good access to tech should be doing is making sure that students are aware of the impact that AI is going to have across all different fields. So um, at my school, we do a similar thing with sustainability. We call it green seasoning. And the idea is that sustainability, it's not standalone lessons. It's sort of sprinkled throughout the curriculum. And I'd like to see a similar thing with, with AI literacy. So for example, in science, if students are exploring um, different cancer treatments, perhaps as part of that, they look at how AI is helping with um, diagnosing cancer in people. So I feel like it, sh- it should be something that's always discussed and always there so that students, even if they don't use them, they're still aware of the the impact that it might have in the future. Yeah, we, I, we've 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 looked at um, all sorts of aspects of training. It's funny, I was thinking actually, we 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 did an inset in September when we all came back after the summer, and I I did like a, a digital learning update. I don't think I mentioned AI in it at any point, but, um, and then I did the same thing in January after Christmas, and it was all about AI. And similarly, after Easter, another AI update specifically because the landscape changed so much. So we've made all our teachers fully aware of what's happening to the, the, you know, to the best of our, um, our, our the, the biggest extent that we can. Um, and each week I'm doing a sort of 20 minute session on something to do with it. So this week we did prompt engineering, as I mentioned before. And I think on the back of that, it turned out that what we need to do is actually establish a, a, like a shared drive 
um, for all staff with AI, where we can drop in different prompts. Um, so we don't have to keep you know, reinventing the wheel, but actually all teachers can access this shared drive and they can see, I want a prompt for report writing. I want a prompt for, um, uh, for, for quiz generation. I need a, I need a prompt for you know, writing an effective email. Similarly for pupils, we could do something as well. So it's again, it's that sort of democratization of of AI. It's and, and the, you know, the, the 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 software that's out there, making sure that it, it's not some of us who are able to use these things, but actually everyone can. So it's just making sure that that you know, everyone, every part of the school community is updated with it. We even sent something out to parents about it because when ChatGPT initially was opened up to the world, we quickly thought that parents might hear about this and wonder what the school is doing. So we sent an email explaining what it is, uh, and we will. I think the, one of our plans is to, when we have a, a parental engagement evening, we'll demonstrate it uh, to them as well and, and show show parents how we're utilising it. We even showed it to governors in a in a governors meeting as well, and it's just blowing everyone's mind. It really every time you you, know, you, <laughs> you, you, you demonstrate it to people that haven't seen it before, it blows their mind. And as Faye said earlier, it's just it's just astonishing. Um, and I think. We all just need to, to make sure that everyone gets a chance to get the best out of it. Yeah, I think that parental education piece is really important. We've had a lot of um, parents asking us for more information about it, um, because as, as you were saying before, there's just so much information to digest and to know everything about it. You know, you need to be online on Twitter all the time, reading news articles all the time. So it's I think parental education is also a really key part of of the development of this and making sure because you know a lot of the work students is, are going to be doing is it, it will be at home with parents around chris has just put a um, comment in the chat here and he said one of the crucial points for him is regarding the training of teachers to use ai in their own teaching is that teachers can gain an understanding of how, how ai can fit into their existing teaching they do so that the level does not exceed the teacher's competencies so following up from that, kind of what are some of those quick things that teachers then can use within their everyday teaching that they can start using these tools safely and securely, but see the transformational effect it can have? Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of success with those, almost those quick win tools. So um, I'll share some links actually later on my Twitter, but for example, tools where you can record a sort of slightly rambling voice note and then it will summarize it for you in a couple of paragraphs or in english if students are uh, reading a book they can use an image generator to visualize the the setting for that book so things are very simple to use they don't require a login but actually have a really big impact in a lesson and i think the, the great thing is that uh, i think most of these tools are very straightforward to use i think some of them like mid journey you know you you do need to be a bit more skilled, but most of them are very, very simple. Mm. Excellent. I think that is a nice segue into the news. So I'll play the news and we'll come back afterwards and we're going to be already exploring and unpacking those ethical considerations of how we can use AI into the classroom and what we really hold for the future of AI as well. The audio works. I've also got a little voice note from um, Chris, who is going to share his international ideas and expertise around AI. Wow. So sit back and hopefully, I know we've had problems with audio, but hopefully this will work. 
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. ASCOL is due to ballot members for the first time in its history. The four education unions will ballot over strike action this term and, if backed by members, would see action stretching into next year and could lead to full school closures. The government continues to hold its position that the most recent pay offer is fair and reasonable and that next year school funding will be at its highest level in history. Schools Week covers the further implications of school funding issues in a story about the cuts some head teachers are making. In a survey conducted by the National Foundation for Education Research for the Sutton Trust, it was found that schools are cutting back on school trips teaching assistants and IT equipment to help balance stretch budgets. Responses from 1,428 primary and secondary teachers show 50% of senior leaders said their school had cut back on trips and outings this year. Schools in the most disadvantaged areas were most likely to be impacted by cuts to trips. The research suggests that in secondary schools, leaders are also cutting back on subject choices at both GCSE and A-level. The Department for Education has estimated schools overall could afford £2.4 billion in new spending between 2022 and 2024 before facing net pressure on their budgets. But the Confederation of School Trusts warned its members could face a prolonged period of financial challenge due to pay rises and other increasing costs if more funding was not forthcoming. The Sutton Trusts poll also showed that some school leaders are using pupil premium funding to plug budget gaps. The report also underlines the issue of recruitment into the sector, with the NFER predicting that the DFE will again miss its recruitment into initial teacher training target this year. Meanwhile, the TES focused on a DFE funding rule change to help schools hit by falling pupil numbers due to a decline in birth rate. Schools that are not rated good or outstanding will be eligible for additional funding. Other changes will be introduced from 2024 to 25, and councils will set expectations around the minimum funding they must provide to support schools with significant increases in pupil numbers. Schools with more than one site will also receive extra funding where they need to duplicate services over multiple sites. Falling birth rates mean there are projected to be half a million fewer pupils in English state nurseries and primaries in 2028, compared with 2022. Nurseryworld.co.uk reports on the findings of its recent survey into staff wellbeing around Ofsted inspections. In the article on its website, it reports that over 3,000 owners, managers and staff responded to questions around mental health and wellbeing and the impact of inspections. Many responded that they felt increased stress and anxiety in the run-up to an inspection, with many having sleepless nights and some suffering from panic attacks and depression. The possibility of losing funding, should a setting be judged inadequate, was also mentioned. Full details of the survey can be found on the Nursery World website. The Guardian reports that a record figure of £4.8 billion interest has been added to student debt in Britain last year. The government has more than doubled the amount of money it makes from charging interest on student loans as graduates face borrowing costs of almost twice the rate set by the Bank of England. The Office for National Statistics said the accrued interest had doubled from £2.3 billion in the previous year. The forecast average debt among the cohort of students who started their course in 2021 and 22 
is £45,800 when they complete their course. Finally, the Morning Star in Scotland reports that increased spending per school pupil is failing to deliver improved outcomes. Spending per pupil has risen to £8,500 in Scotland, compared with around £7,200 across England, Wales and Northern Ireland. But attainment in Scotland is not on a similarly rising trajectory. Research by the Institute for Fiscal Studies shows that despite having the highest spending per pupil across the UK for a long period, test scores in reading, maths and science have either stayed the same or have been going down. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to attempt to explain in simple terms how the internet works. Let's take this tech briefing for example. I know every single one of you at some point have thought, how on earth can someone who makes a recording in one part of the world be broadcast globally to thousands of people and there'll be very few errors? I won't even go off when you go under a bridge. Although, I did give Tom Rogers a lift once and can tell you he's so radio he stopped talking when I drove through the Mersey Tunnel. For the internet to work, a way of allowing people to simultaneously use the same cables had to be created. The traditional phone call method could not be used because this would limit the number of users. If computers made a dedicated connection like a phone call does, then there'd be a lot of waiting going on. Imagine if you had to wait in line for a download. You are 457th in the queue. Your download is important to us. Please listen to this monotonous music while you wait. It simply wouldn't catch on. So, what happens? Data is transmitted in a similar way to the postal system. Just a lot quicker. Right now, this podcast is arriving on your device in a series of packets. Packets are really small chunks of data that can be sent from device to device via routers. Without getting too geeky on you, the host server gets a request from you and you press play. The request says, start sending me the packets of the audio chocolate you know as Steve Woods' tech briefing. And like chocolate, it's split into chunks. These chunks are given an address to get to, an address of where they came from, some other information like the type of file being sent, so your device knows which applications you open it in, and a number so the packets can be ordered and rebuilt when they arrive. These packets are directed over the internet by routers that use the address information to direct them and then rebuilt by your device once they arrive. Because packets are so small and can be forwarded rapidly, lots of computers can send data at the same time and keep everybody connected. So next time you're using the internet, consider that what you are looking at has probably been split into thousands of packets routed across the world and being rebuilt in a matter of milliseconds for you to enjoy. As always, if you have a tech question, why not send it to at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods. And that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to back to The Late Show with James Radburn. Tonight I'm with John and Faye. We're going to explore how AI looks in education. And this next section of the show, I really want to look at those ethical considerations. I know we've kind of talked about it so far, but Faye, what do you think are some of those potential ethical concerns around AI in the classroom? So I think, um, firstly, a lot of these tools are very new. Um, a lot of them are not built for education. So, you know, we, with the educational tools that we use, we sort of have that comfort of knowing that they are specifically built for children to use, whereas things like ChatGPT are not. Um, we still don't know exactly what they're going to produce each time we use them. Um, you know, they do have some pretty robust guardrails on them in terms of the kind of content they can produce, but but still it's it's experimental. Um, and then I think 
there's a lot of ethical concerns around image generators. I think um, not just in terms of the, the images that they're, they're sourcing from um, and copyright issues, but also the kinds of images that they produce. So uh, recently I got students to, they created AI fashion collections and all the models that were created by Midjourney were sort of skinny white women. So that was a good opportunity to have that discussion about you know why those images are coming up so much and and how the ai works but i think it's really important that if students are using the tools that they also understand how they work where they're getting their information from and how they're coming to to create the text or the images or the video that they do that's a really good point i've never really thought about that before um you know the, the, the i guess it must work similarly to the chat GPT that it must have a repository of images that it then draws upon to, to create the other images. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, it's interesting. I think the, the, there's so many question marks about with ethics, even from using it to generate, uh, um, you know, support with report writing. Is that ethically correct? I personally think it is, but people will have different opinions on that. Mm -hmm. uh, right up to the ethics of how can you know, governments or, or forces um, that might use it for, for malign and negative reasons. I mean, you know, you, you again, right at the start of this whole conversation, you spoke about you know, films like Terminator and stuff like that. We all thought they were sort of fantastical. But, it, you know, the, the, the reason this, this guy left Google is because he was concerned about where this is going. And lots of people are raising concerns. Now, personally, I, I, I don't, I think there's there's more good than bad. I think uh, I read again a book which made a really interesting comparison. I think it was a, it wasn't a book; it was an article in the in the Economist or something. And it, it was a, a philosopher, and he was talking about Hiroshima, and he said that when the um, no obviously in, in World War Two with the atomic bombs, atomic power was used in a horrifically negative way. But now it's used in generally a very positive way for, for power uh, and power that is um, renewable. So I'm hoping that there's a way we can ensure that the future of AI is used productively and ethically um, positively, because there is, there's no doubt that there's, there's potential negative consequences of it being misused. Um, but I'm, I just, I just, you know, you've got to have faith that, that, the people very quickly realise that there needs to be some form of legislation in place that enables people to get the best out of the technology, but at the same time stops adverse uh, negativity and, um, and uh, corruption uh, taking place because of, of this, what should be a, a useful and remarkable tool. Mm -hmm. I think um, I've seen a few examples recently as well of, of these tools making mistakes. Um, I think I, I read one about, I think it was um, Afghan refugees were using an AI language uh, translator and actually the translator was getting things wrong. So, and that was affecting their appeals. And mm. I, I think these tools are being released so quickly that, you know, we, I don't think we can always be sure that they are reliable. I think that's a really interesting point of language. The, we, we, I heard something at the Bet Show. I went to see a, a talk from a, from a very clever um, chap from Oxford University. And he, even in that conversation, he spoke about its proficiency in different languages, which is obviously very good at lots of languages, but it's better at English. So therefore, already, is that ethically sound, that if you speak the English language, you get a better 
uh, experience with the technology than if you speak French or, or German. Now, that's, again, that, that digital divide question. And that is an ethical question as well. Uh, and again, it's something you need to consider. But the positives are there as well. Uh, for example, we've got some Ukrainian children at RGS Worcester. And some of their English, I mean, their English is exceptionally good, but it's, it's, it's still not technically as sound as a native English speaker. So when you're trying to teach something like binary, which you know, it's, it's tedious at the best of times, and um, it's, it's it, you have to make these lessons interesting, let alone trying to teach uh, Ukrainian children about ones and zeros and how computers use them. However, using ChatGPT, we're able to literally generate the, the lesson in Ukrainian. Um, and uh, the, the girl who was, who was learning came over, sat down, pinged in some questions, got some responses in, in Ukrainian and was able to take part in the lesson. So there, in a nutshell, is that dichotomy of positivity, but at the same time, negativity. Uh, and it, I think every single aspect of, of AI has two perspectives that could be used for good and potentially could be used um, for, for for bad. And the you know, the ethics are, are really head-scratching. Mm. That idea about hallucinations and the bias as well is a really mm. important element um, of it. And how can we then ensure pupils as well as staff are really considering that? Because I know I've seen lots of people talk about... Um, research articles for example where actually the quotes are fake or they're making up those bits and if you challenge ai it will come back and say actually yeah i did make it up so how do we do that especially if you go back into the context of children using it and asking it to solve equations and it's coming back with something that isn't accurate because as you said um earlier it is a language model it is being fed over th- 300 billion pieces of information and it at the moment it doesn't reason the way that humans reason and i think that's one of the things that makes us unique makes us um as a species but technology may get there we can't say never because of what's happened in the last year i don't think any any of us could have foreseen how quickly it's grown but yeah going back to the idea of bias what are some of those things that we need to consider or give tips to staff or pupils to make sure that we don't do that too much, John? I think it, it's it's fascinating what you just said there, there James, about the, the maths. We If you if you said to us three or four years ago that around, you know, there's going to be AI around the corner, what's it going to be good at? But also, well, it'll be really cool at making really difficult calculations really quickly. Actually, it turns out it's amazing at making amazing pictures and writing poetry. It's, it's kind of the opposite to what we all thought. It's, it's, it's not that good at mathematical complications, especially more complex ones. Um, so I think when you know, you, we need to understand how it works. We, we spoke about this briefly before, that it's because it's predictive. It's a predictive tool. It just guesses well enough to be useful. Um, and therefore, when, you, you know, when, when it does make up quotes, we've got to be able to teach children to look at the quote and then use their research skills to find that quote and when it turns out it doesn't exist they know to 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 disregard it um i remember friends at school when i I won't name them because they might get in trouble um who would in exams in sociology exams at university (laughs) just made up quotes it's not it's not (laughs) put it in and they passed there they got they got a two one 
Um, so, so it's not it's 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 kind of is replicating human behavior in a strange sort of way because we do make stuff up as well. That's what is what creativity is. So it's it's a really interesting conversation, and you, as long as you understand that it's a it's a guessing machine that guesses really really well, and you can't take anything that it says at face value. You've got to cross reference it. It 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 becomes less of a threat and less of a, a, a of a um, untrustworthy source. It's just it, it, it is what it is. Um, and you get out of it what you put into it to an extent and you've got to be able to also just assume that it's got things wrong and you've got to check yeah and I think you know as as companies like Google start to build these sort of AI chatbots into um, into their tools more I think you know we'll be able to relax about those kind of things a bit more so for example you know there might be a chatbot that's trained on all of the maths course materials so all the answers are actually going to be based on the academic content that you fed to it rather than yep. it just being this big you know massive open data data um data source with that has you know things that are wrong as well as right i think it's a really good point i think that's that's when it becomes better it's when you give it the research papers you don't ask it to give you its own thoughts and its own understanding you say yeah you, know, you, you the chat pdf is a really good example of that you feed it some research. The problem with chat PDF at the moment is that it's, you, you get without paying for it, you only get three bits and bobs. And I don't think you can, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't put in two opposing research papers and ask it to, to compare them. Can you, it's, it's, it's kind of one or the other, as far as I know. Um, I don't but, think so. But that, I mean, that's, that's around the corner shortly where you, you know, you've mm-hmm. got something like Google scholar, but an AI version. So it's, it's not, it's not, it's not using, it's, it's not, predicting things is actually using all the research that's ever taken place on everything to help you learn more um, about any given subject. And I think when that happens, it becomes more reliable and therefore more useful. But the question is about bias. And it's, I mean, everyone's got bias. It's human nature to be biased about what cereal you like or what football team you support. So how you avoid that when the data that AI is trained on is coming ultimately from humans, how you get it to to, to eliminate that, it's, it's, it's way beyond my pay grade, I'm afraid, James. <laughs> and I think, I know I've seen uh, Biden this week, and I know the UK government have met um, with various people in the field, and Biden said, we're here to learn from you. And I think yeah. actually that is the key point. You need to get the right people around the room to have these discussions. And one of the points you were saying earlier about um, the workflow, it was almost about the workflow. When we, I know we're looking at digital transformation and our trust in our economy at the moment, and one of the misconceptions we're trying to get over is that you use technology for everything. No, you use it for where its strengths are. What are those strengths that you can do as a human, that human connection with the pupils, understanding um, where you need to go with the curriculum and where those gaps are and what you need to do as a consequence of the data you've been given. But it's actually where is technology great for that? How can we use it for the efficiency? How can we find those gaps? And in terms of tools like summarising, or I know I watched some, uh, something on Twitter the, um, earlier where someone can now dictate a task into their phone, use something online to then um, do a transcription of that. That can then go to their Notion database. It has the tasks. It links it to the articles, all it um, to the projects he's got, all within what 
mere like a minute or so processing yeah. it and i was like okay that works brilliantly and because the technology is there reliable for that translation um and transcription it actually works really well and so it's a really interesting of where we go with it and i think i want to go back to we've talked a lot about technology we've talked a lot about bias one thing that i think teachers would be scared of and we'll come on to it in a bit it's about that future of education and there was a quote made that we experienced more technological progress in the coming decade than we did in the preceding 100 years put together mm. now that was made three years ago that prediction and i think it's only now that we can really see actually yeah this this whole idea of this hollywood world is actually coming to life right in front of our eyes and where it goes can be fascinating but do you think then ai endangers and challenges this human interaction we have with children and if so what do you think are some of those considerations we need to make when implementing ai into school or some of those things we need to think about um faye if you start that off mm-hmm. um so I, I don't think anybody wants to lose that that human connection. I don't think children want to, I don't think parents would, I don't think teachers do. I think AI has the potential to free up teachers' time and give them time to actually develop those those in-person relationships better. Um, It's interesting, I was having a chat with a student a couple of days ago about AI and assessment, and his feeling was very much that he would prefer an AI to mark his work. He feels like it would be it would be free from bias, that it would be more accurate, that it would give more meaningful feedback. Um, but he still very much valued those relationships with teachers. So I think if it can just take away some of that workload for teachers, um, that sort of busy work that at the beginning, you know, John, you were talking about saying stuff that we spend so much time on and it has actually very little value, uh, then it can actually perhaps have the potential to make relationships between teachers and students more meaningful and more personal totally i think again if you go right back to the start of this whole conversation when you asked us about our respective educational journeys we both spoke about work experience or the opportunity to you know work with children came along and we 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 thought this is what i want to do um and that still is the the biggest attraction of education it's, it's a chance to sort of help children um you know, progress and develop and, and and shape their futures and ai is a tool to help with that it's it's it you know you wouldn't if ai was if if teachers were you know, robots at the front of a classroom um it would it, you know education would be completely unrecognizable uh and as faye said it's it you know the relationships wouldn't be there and ultimately we we want pupils to to, to you know go into the working world and leave school and leave university as well-rounded global citizens and there's no way that could happen without human interaction and the tools that AI have um, for us to use help with the autumn the, the things that can be automated the fact they can be automated says a lot I think and those robotic tasks that we all have to do if they can be um, done by computers it will give us more time to be more human yeah, so, you know, in a lesson, maybe a student comes in and shows the teacher, you know, all the AI feedback that they've been given, and then then they have a more of a coaching conversation about the student's progress and what their next steps might be. I think that really brings into fruition um, 
sort of full circle there. I think we could go on for hours, um, talk about AI and how it could change. And we have, we're coming no answers, but we're, we're at least have a way forward of what we could do and some of those things. So I want to end with one question um, for both of you, which is what is that one piece of advice you'd give someone starting out who wants to explore AI? open up to the floor whoever wants to go first brave enough um oh, it's, a, it's a it's a good question and I'm, I'll, I'll i'll try and answer it if, one piece of advice i think i would give to someone starting aoi is is keep an open mind about it and be prepared to be amazed but also to remember um that what you're experimenting with is literal literal digital evolution and things change quickly well that's probably about 10 bits of advice there so i've, I've completely <laughs> defeated the point of the question but you know I, I keep, you keep an open mind I'll, I'll try and summarize as quickly that and um be prepared for change hmm. um i mean it's kind of similar i would say be curious but critical make sure you learn how the tools actually work and what their possibilities as limitations might be um, and yeah, explore as many different tools as you can. I think, um, you know, as we said, it takes so much time to learn all the different things out there. So, you know, make use of people like Dan Fitzpatrick, who puts out so much content and has an amazing database online that he's updating every day with AI tools. Make use of people like that and sign up for his mailing list. And if anyone wants to find out anymore, definitely follow uh, John and Faye on Twitter. Um, and there are a lot of resources out there that we'll share. But kind of just to finish this off, I wanted to get um, kind of that question, what the future of AI from a different perspective as well. And and I asked Christopher um, Dither, who's a teacher, a tech supervisor, head of a makerspace. He's also an Apple professional learning specialist at Compass. Um, and he works with teachers, supervisors, and principals kind of to talk about what are his thoughts about AI. I'm just going to close our show really playing this um, and listening to his summary of what he thinks AI will be. How will AI transform our education? As we move further into the 21st century, the role of technology in education is increasing at an exponential rate, but also the way we think and reflect on technology and how to use it. One of the most significant developments in this area is the integration of AI in education. In this talk, my main focus will be AI in education and how it can impact the way we learn and teach. But why is AI relevant to discuss when talking education and transformation of educational systems? Firstly, pupils face AI every day when they exit schools. They will meet AI while using personal assistants like Siri, but also when they enter social media, pupils meet AI algorithms with targeted ads. One of our main purposes with schools is to make pupils grow and prepare them for the society they will meet. We have to educate our pupils to navigate safely, but also in an exploring way in an ever-changing world. Due to this, I have found five areas where I expect we will see some huge changes due to AI. The first area is how we work on generating ideas. One way I'm working with AI with my classes is how we develop an idea. 
AI can help my pupils to generate ideas for their multimedia project. For example, AI-powered tools can help them do videos, images, or sound effects for their projects. This can help some of my pupils who are struggling to come up with ideas. And AI can also provide new perspective and inspiration for my pupils who are looking to expand their thinking. My second focus area will be on concentration. In teaching, it can be difficult at times to find the time to work with design loops where you repeatedly develop an idea, but also having the time to create larger pupil projects. I expect AI is going to transform this as well. With AI, pupils can easily create mock-up based on their ideas and wishes they are having for school assignments. The mock-up can give the pupils ideas for the product they are going to create themselves in teaching projects. AI can give pupils inspiration for multimedia content such as animations, videos and music they can use in their own productions afterwards. My third focus area would be on personalized feedback. Currently, we are experiencing that teachers do not always have the time to provide personal and high-quality feedback to their pupils, even though they really want to do it. AI is going to transform the way teachers can give feedback. AI can be used to create assignments so that the teachers can take the results and transform them into personalized feedback with future steps for the pupils. This way, the teacher does not have to create assignments with clear answers, but can instead use that time to help the pupil progress in their education. My full focus area will be on creating exciting learning experiences. When creating lesson plans, the teachers spend a lot of time searching for materials, texts and resources. This is the time that could be used to create creative and inspiring activities for the pupils. I believe that in the future, AI will be used to help teachers develop lesson plans and curriculum. Teachers can ask AI assistants to find texts, researchers, or similar materials based on their goals and subject matter. This way, teachers can use the time on larger and more creative activities, which can be difficult to find the time for today. The fifth focus area will be on accessibility. In the future, AI will provide even better opportunities for equal access to education. Regardless of any physical or mental challenges your pupils are facing, resources are being developed to assist humans. For example, pupils with dyslexia will have a range of new tools to help them navigate in different tasks. Tools that predict words are becoming even better and better and providing students with better learning opportunities. AI tools with eye tracking while reading for the pupils will improve even better, allowing teachers to provide even better feedback. In general, AI can help us providing a school that fits for all our pupils. That's a really good summary um, to close up of almost tonight's show. And those advantages of AI in education are manifold. It's really got a potential, only limited by our scope of our collective imaginations. But there are those ethical issues and concerns that cannot be ignored. We are living in the time of exponential growth. AI can generate ideas. It can create that content, personalised feedback, help our workload, create those exciting learning experiences, help with accessibility. But there are concerns about bias. I think as John and Faye said in today's show, go with it with an open mind, but be a critical thinker. Thank you for John and Faye, and thank you to listening to Teacher Talk Radio. I hope you introduced this 
introduction very much because we could go on for hours on this. And thanks to Christopher as well for his audio there. If you want to listen back to Teach Talk Radio, please show, please download the Podbeam app or visit your favourite podcast player and search Teacher Talk Radio. You can also go to ttradio.org and listen back and visit all of the shows that are coming up over the next week or so. Follow us on Twitter at TT Radio Official and tweet us using the hashtag TT Radio. Thank you for listening and until next time, goodbye. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.